would love to direct our attention to our passage this morning. James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. This is the word of the Lord to us today. I pray that we would hear it and that would sink deep into our souls today. Um, let me read as, we, as you follow along. God's word says, look here, you who say today or tomorrow, we are going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans and all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. The word of the Lord to us today, you may be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. Glad you all are here. Good to see all of you. It's always an honor, privilege to get to open up God's word. Um, if you're visiting today, let me also just welcome you and greet you. We're so glad that you're here. If you're watching online, just want to say we're glad you're joining us from wherever you are. Um, I hope and pray that your morning, your day, your, 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 your moment is one where you can be aware of this, of this and, and know that it is from God. And we're in this passage, and James, as he, as he does, he's so good at kind of moving us into a new section, turning a corner. And, and what he does, though, in this particular passage is that James, as pastor, as shepherd, as leader, he writes to his readers and gives them a warning. He, he warns them and he warns us about this concept, this idea of boasting in tomorrow. And he sets the scene in verse 13, that first opening verse. And again, I love the way James is, he uses such strong kind of um, gripping language that kind of makes you lean in. Going, well, all right, what's he doing now? And in verse 13, he says, look here, you who say... Today or tomorrow, we are going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We'll do business there and make a profit. And he builds the rest of the passage from there. And it makes you want to go, like, all right, what's he going to say about that? Now, we've read the passage, but it makes us want to go, all right, what's, what is the deal here? And I would just say before we move there, I do think it's good for us to just sit in this verse for a few moments. Because at first glance, this verse doesn't seem too outlandish. It, it seems kind of normal, like responsible, in fact. Like, what's the deal? But there is, as we'll see, there's this underlying attitude that's at play, that's going to be exposed. And so if you read it more slowly, it says, today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town, and we will stay there a year, and we will do business there, and we're going to make a profit there. And so who, who are the decision makers? It's, it's they that decide when they will go, where they will go, how long they will stay, and they're quite sure about the outcome. They're going to make money. And I would say, and what James is trying to say is, is wow, it's pretty presumptuous. What's this implying about 
who's in charge. You look at the verse and what's this implying about who's in control? And, and I think the implications of these bold statements are that time is under their control. Location is under their control. Their, even their labors and profits are under their control. And the question before you and I today is this idea of, all right, do I do, I do this? Do I operate like this? Do we talk about our plans or about our tomorrows as if we are the ones in control? And this is where the conviction kind of creeps in a little bit. At least it did for me. You know, summer is upon us. Way to go. It's almost here for some. It's here for others. And I will make statements like, look at what I'm going to do this summer. I'm going to sleep in a little bit more. I'm going to relax. I'm going to refinish my basement. My kids, they're going to swim. They're going to read. Each one is going to pick up a new hobby. I'm going to go to Jacksonville. We're going to beach it up for a week. And again, there's, please hear me, there's nothing wrong about this. There's part of, part of this is our, how we talk, how we have conversations. I get that. You ask me, hey, what are you doing this summer? And how do I respond? Well, I'll tell you some of the different things I'm doing. But hear the language. Let me tell you what I'm going to be doing this summer. I'm using language like I'm in control. But here is what's even more convicting and what's even more important about this passage is that it might not just be about our language. If I'm not careful, if we're not careful, we start to live and operate like we are in control. And this is what James is starting to hear that's happening. But, I, but there's an even deeper nuance here than that. And here's the scenario. Let me paint the context. Remember, James is writing to Christians. So those who have, have placed their faith and trust in Jesus, they're believers, but they've been scattered because of persecution. And, and now they're having to start over, and they've lost their social identity. They've, they've lost much of their influence. They've lost much of their wealth. And, and although all of them were struggling, there was a group of wealthier tradesmen or merchants that would, that would do business, selling craft. And they were... They, this group was at least well, well off enough to have options. And their vocation probably helped with that. But they were not where they wanted to be financially or socially. And so in view of the context, what do they do? Well, they do what many of us are trained to do. They do what our culture and what their culture teaches them to do. They, they problem solve the issue. They create a strategy. They do the plan. They say, hey, this is what we're going to do. And they did what other itinerant merchants would do. They depended on their own personal assertiveness to get things done. This is our solution. Let's take it into our own hands and let's go fix it. Now, I do want to make sure I'm clear here. Let me, let me say this clearly. This passage is not saying, what this passage is not saying is that planning or assertiveness, trying to problem solve or even attempting to make a profit. It's not saying these things are wrong or sinful. It's not. It's not saying that we just throw plans to the wind, we just go about our day willy-nilly. It's not saying that. To the contrary, we know that Scripture tells us that it's faithful and it's wise to make plans. We have plans for the summer. I, I do have a plan for this year. I map it out. Our church has a budget. We've mapped out our sermon series all till next year. We have plans. 
But don't miss the underlining tone as we walk through this passage. Because what James is doing, he's calling them to be careful. And James is warning against the story of the world that says, you are the captain of your own soul, you are the master of your destiny. You see, the story of the world will tell us that we can be self-sufficient, that you have self-determination. And so you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. If it's, if it's to be, it's up to you, it's up to me. And while there's a certain level of motivational language that's built into that, that way of thinking places the emphasis on the where. It places the emphasis for dependence on me. It places the emphasis of my direction on, on me. And James, what he's doing is he's saying that, hey, plans have a way of revealing. Language has a way of revealing. Our actions or what you're chasing after, how you spend your time, it has a way of revealing, revealing who or what you or I might be placing my trust in. Who or what is the captain of my soul. And what James is warning against in this passage is self-confidence, it's pride, it's arrogance. He's warning us about this, the, the, the war of the wills. Is it about your will or is it about God's will? And James, through the rest of this passage, he gives this warning about our will. And now again, our, our will, this ability to determine, to choose, to decide that we've been given by God, created by God with, but he says, and he teaches, we need to take our will and make sure we handle it properly. Because you and I, yes, we have a will, but it does not mean we're the captain. And so the rest of this passage, he walks us into uh, this warning. And where does he start? If you have a passage in front of you, look at verse 14. He starts with a question. And, and one, uh, a question that quickly brings them, brings us back to reality. He says, how do you even know what your life will be like tomorrow? How do you even know? And it kind of stops us in our tracks. The reality is that we don't know. We can't know. And when pressed or when we slow down long enough, I believe that we all would say, yeah, we know that. We, we do. I, I get that. I know that life's hard, that I can't control the outcomes, that things don't always work out the way that we want, that tomorrow might be different than the way I plan. Just remember COVID. Millions of plans in a moment change. Think about that phone call or that doctor's appointment that had life-altering news on the other end. And in a moment, plans change. Think about your last week. How'd that go? Plans change. And yet, oddly, if we're not careful, this is our propensity, though, that we operate like we are. And this question calls us back to reality. It calls us back to check our attitudes. But to make it even more clear, he moves, James moves from the uncertainty of life to then talking about the brevity of life. And he says this, he says, your life is like the morning fog. How do you even know what your life will be like tomorrow? And what is your life? Your life is like the morning fog. It is here a little while, then it's gone. Waking up early in the morning, driving your kids to school, driving to work, you see, you notice the fog. I, 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 I notice the fog in those mornings when, it, when it's there. But along the drive, it disappears, and oftentimes I don't even notice. It's gone. One pastor says this about this verse. He says, The fragility of human life and the consequent uncertainty of all, of all human plans is the main point of this verse. 
illness, accidental death, or the return of Christ could cut short our lives just as quickly as the morning sun dissipates the fog. Another person, British theologian Sam Albury, he writes this, he says, sort of tongue-in-cheek, he says, in a world with so many people writing autobiographies, the subtitle for the book that sums up our life according to this verse, the subtitle that draws together all the greatest moments of our lives is this, here today, gone tomorrow. It's kind of sobering. And what James is doing is he's reminding us who we are. And at the same time, he's hopefully reminding us who God is. And this is where the rubber meets the road in our theology. This is where our beliefs about God, our beliefs about who we are, affect how we live. Because if we were to say, no, I know, he is God, then what's that mean about me? I'm not. I know that God is sovereign. He's the one who reigns. He's the one who is in control. And I'm not. He is king and sovereign, and I'm dust. And it causes us to check our arrogance, to check our motives, to check our idols. We're here one day and forgotten the next. It definitely keeps things in proper perspective, keeps us humble. It makes me not want to run ahead of God. Proverbs 27.1, you know, remember James is kind of the Proverbs of the New Testament, and so you see these threads of the Old Testament Proverbs in the New. And he says, Proverbs 27, 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Only God knows the future. Only God knows all things. So how ought that affect the way we speak about tomorrow? Well, verse 15 gives us the clue. He says this. He says, here's what you ought to say. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wants us to, or another way of saying it is if the Lord wills. What James is teaching us is that we need to add a key qualifier to our planning. We need to add a key qualifier that breaks into our language, but even more than that, it breaks into our, our heart, our attitude, our posture. If the Lord wants us to, it's this, it's this expression of dependence, it's this expression of surrender. I've enjoyed this week uh, getting to... Um, kind of scan through the New Testament and, and kind of look at kind of different places where you see this kind of language break into the apostles, break into the different writers. Because I want to make sure that, you know, you know that this, this statement is not just a magic bullet. It's not like, hey, just add it before every little thing and it'll be great. No, it has, you have to mean it. It has to penetrate your heart. But we see the New Testament writers model it. And so Paul says... In Acts 20, he says, I'll return to you if God wills. He says it again in Romans 1, I ask that somehow by God's will I may at last come to you. Or 1 Corinthians 1, I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, if the Lord permits. The author of Hebrews says, and this we will do if God permits. And you see it. And can you imagine the testimony that, that comes from living and operating this way? But, but I will say this, one professor writes, he says, but just know, however, so here's a turn, but just know, however, that Jesus, Paul, and the other apostles do not always state this condition when they plan for the future. What is important is not the verbalization, but that they had it as a principle fixed in their minds that they would do nothing without the permission of God. And I love that. 
They had it as a principle fixed in their minds. Oh, man, like, Lord, would you help this sink deep into my mind, into my soul? Would you help me? Where I can say, ultimately, ultimately, Lord, I know that it is up to you. I acknowledge and I want your will. And I affirm and know that all that, will, that is meant to be today, all that is meant to be tomorrow, ultimately is up to you. And so if you want us to, we will live and we will do this or we will do that. This principle, it's about fixing it deep and it causes us, what it does is it causes us to slow. It causes us to hold it, hold our plans appropriately. And it even causes us to think about the Lord's will in those moments. Because if we slow long enough, and we, we remember, ultimately, it's, Lord, it's your will. It causes us to reimagine, God, what do you want a part of this? What are you doing here? But here's a question for us. Do we want God's will? Do you trust God's will? Some of us, if we're honest, might say, I'm scared of God's will. What if, what if, what if he calls me to something hard? Or what if he, he calls me to something that I don't want? And I just want to say something to all of us, to myself too. is like, the Lord's will is good. Because he's good. The Lord's will is loving. Because we know he's love. Being in the Lord's will is the safest and the best place you can be. I heard this quote today, or this week, that said, the will of God comes from the heart of God. The will of God comes from the heart of God, and his will is the expression of his love, and so you don't need to be afraid. And yes, the Lord's will might be different than you'd expect, and it might be hard, but it will be good. We can trust him. Proverbs 16.9 says this, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. And let me say again, this passage is not anti-plans. This verse, we, can, we make our plans and we make a lot of plans. Our family, our business, our school, your office, you make plans. And to make those plans, you lean on God's, God's word, you lean on the Holy Spirit, you lean on people around you, you, you lean on the processes you've put in place, you lean on wisdom and your experiences, but... It's the Lord who determines ultimately our steps. And this is how we hold our plans. This is how we hold our tomorrows. But when we don't do that, when we speak and live as indicated by this group in this passage, it reveals this fundamental problem. It reveals these dangers. And here are the dangers otherwise. Look at verses 16 and 17. Otherwise, you are boasting about your pretentious plans and all such boasting is evil. And so we see indicated here the root of the issue that links back to verse 13. There's this attitude. is you're boasting about your own pretentious plans. Making these claims with such bold predictions without regard for God or his will, you're boasting. It's rooted in arrogance. Remember, the only thing, according to James, also in, in the first chapter, is the only thing we should be boasting is God and the gospel. And what he's done in our lives Instead, they're boasting in their own pretentious plans. Pretentious means this. It says, to impress by affecting greater importance than is actually possessed. To impress by affecting greater importance than is actually possessed. James is saying, you don't possess these qualities to say these things. You don't have this right. 
So in the midst of their crisis, you're forgetting the most important thing. You're, you're forgetting who's in control and who can help you. It's not work and money and the greatest strategy that will ultimately help you. It's God. But instead, you're placing yourself in the seat of God. And that's, that's pride. It's hubris. And the last time I checked, any time a servant steps onto the throne of God, it's an act of insubordination. And that's what he's saying is the danger here. And so where there's boasting and arrogance, it reveals who you're, who you're, who you're living for. Is that you're making yourself the center of the story. You're making yourself the star. And it's not befitting the people of God. It's not befitting reality. Because who is the center? What were we created for? We're created for God. We're created for his glory. It's about his glory and not mine. Pastor Louis Giglio has a statement where he says this. He says, God has a story, and it's all about his glory. And if you or anyone else is seeking to get glory at the end of your story, you're living in the wrong story. He says, if you or anyone else is seeking to get glory at the end of your story, you're living in the wrong story. It's foolish. Living that way will let you down. It will lead you down a path that's dangerous. And it's here that James, he, he, he brings in that last verse 17. It's kind of this proverb that the people of God would have, would have known. And, and, and he uses it to kind of summarize the statement. He says, now remember, because remember, it's sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. He says, if you live this way, boasting in yourself, if you live this way out of alignment with your faith, you're not going to do what you ought. You're going to miss it. You're going you're to move so quickly ahead. Or you're going to build your life so much around your things that you're not going to do what you know you ought to do. You're not going to live according to wisdom. And remember what wisdom is. It's this combination of knowing and doing. And so to know but to not do is foolish. It's going to prohibit you from doing what you ought. If you remember, Jesus tells this parable in Luke chapter 12 about a farmer who had a fertile farm. And the farmer says to himself, and listen to the language of this parable. The farmer says to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down the bar my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have, a I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. So who's he talking to? Talking to himself. Who's he not talking to? He's not talking to God. But God says to him, you fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? You and I don't know what a day will bring forth. So we, we, we need to be careful. And this is where James is warning these people. Now as I come to a close by way of application and reflection today, in just a few minutes that I have remaining, I just want to put on the screens three categories that I think summarize uh, these tendencies where we often go wrong as it relates to surrender or remembering to lay before him all of our plans and all of our tomorrows. And in these three categories, I wonder if as you look at them, that they might pinpoint for you maybe an area where you go, you know, that's, that might be a root issue for me. And these three categories, where we go wrong, I think the first category, it, it could be your pace. We move so fast. 
we have this tendency to run quickly ahead without slowing or stopping to think of the Lord or his will or his control. We move quickly, taking plans in our own hands. And I think that statement's true, that when we move fast, we move past, past the Lord and what he has. We see that with Abram and Sarah and Hagar. Remember that, when they take the plans in their own hands? We see that with the people of God and Aaron, and they make the golden calf, and they just run ahead. They're not waiting. And I wonder if times, if, if we would be benefited if we just slowed down. So are there ways that you can build into your day or your plans or your language moments that slow you? Moments that allow you to say, if the Lord's will. Maybe you build it into the way you write things. Maybe you build it into the way you pray that would cause you to go, if the Lord wills. The second category is with our priorities. In this one, it's not so much about the pace, but the content of your days and your plans. The content. If you were to look at your calendar, your circles of influences, your checkbook, your strategies, what would they reveal about your priorities? Would God be evident? Would, what, what might they reveal about whose story you're living for? I mean, I think we look at this passage and what James, I think, is indicating is that their, their priority was let's fix it and let's make a profit. Let's, let's get back to where we were. And if our priorities don't align with God's priorities, it's going to be hard for us to surrender. It's going to be hard for us to even think with his will in our minds. And so maybe we need to take some time this week to go back through different areas of our lives, checking our priorities, surrendering them up to the Lord, and asking him to reveal to us if any of them are off base and go, Lord, would you show me? In this last category, this idea of our posture. And this one, I believe, is potentially the most dangerous because it's directly, it ties most directly to pride. With our posture, we could say, I, I, I know what your will is. I know what my prior, I know who I'm living for, and yet, to be honest with you, I like my will. Until I really need God and his help, my plan is just fine. And sadly, we can maybe at times praise God with our lips, but plan our life as if we're God. And this one, I think, is directly tied to, hey, check, be careful. This posture is dangerous and it's foolish and so humble yourself. And this one's about, Lord, Lord, is this, do I need to, do I need to take more of a humble posture? Are there areas in my life where my, my posture is one of rebellion or one of, of sitting on the throne we have these three areas where we tend to go wrong, but, but I was reminded of this verse that Jesus uses to his disciples. And, and, he, and he uses this amazing verse that basically just describes from him what, what following him is all about. And I think it, it kind of matches these themes. And I want to put it on the screen. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus is speaking to the crowd and he says this, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Do you see the connections? That idea of if you want to, whoever wants to be my follower must give up your own way. Give up your own way. Be willing to take up your cross. Be willing to, to sacrifice. Be willing to suffer even. And there's that, that pace word. And do this daily. And so it's, 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 I take each day, I take all my plans, I take all of what I've, what I've put into this, my hopes for the future, but at the same time I say, I wake up and I go, this is your day ultimately. And I, and I, and I 
I put my way down, and so lead me today. If it's your will to redirect, please do it. Let me see it, but let me not cling to my own because I want to follow after you, and I want to be willing to take up my, your cross, and I want to follow you. I know you're in control. So James gives us a new way this morning. He gives us a new way to speak, to think, hopefully to live. And this is the bottom line. He teaches us to say, instead say, if the Lord wills. Instead say, if the Lord wills. What what if this phrase would so capture our language and our posture that it would become the driving desire of our heart? Instead say, if the Lord wills. Jesus says, my food. He, He says to his disciples, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. That's it. May I live that way. May this be the constant attitude of my heart. Hey, would you pray with me today? Lord Jesus, we, may we not even take that phrase lightly where we say, my Lord Jesus. You are Lord. You're sovereign. You're good. And so, Father, we Jesus, we do want your will. So God, keep us, keep our eyes fixed on you. Allow us to surrender our way. Help us, God, to be faithful to you, but also know that in a moment, you might be writing a story that we do not have any idea about, and yet we go, but we want to be a part of it. And so God, help us follow you wherever you lead us. We pray all this. In Christ's name, amen.